So that was a long time ago, wasn't it? So, um, and Gav is chair of our trustees for Chelmsford Vineyard. So if you've got a problem with Graham and I or Russ and Pitt, then he's the guy that you need to speak to. Um, so just form a queue orderly uh, before you leave. Um, but we, we love Gav. Gav has got so much wisdom. He's involved in Trent Vineyard, which is in Nottingham, um, the Vineyard Church up there. Married to Ali, who's sitting here supporting him ably. Also, um, I did when I invited them to speak, I did say, you guys choose, because they both would have wisdom to share. So I'm just going to pray for Gav, and then he will uh, share with us what the Lord's put on his heart. Yeah, Holy Spirit, would you come afresh? Father, thank you for all that you've given Gav to say to us this morning. And Lord, we ask that you would give him complete freedom to speak your heart to us. And Father, may our hearts be receptive. We want to leave here having met with you this morning, Father. I often avoid making dramatic entrances. Um, Wow. Well, that's going to go down as a memory, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> yeah, maybe don't start the podcast like that. Um, do you know, we, we come here maybe once a year, maybe a couple of times in a year, and every time we come, we absolutely love it. And I was just trying to think, what is it that, you know, one of the things that we love about this church, and I think it is because we wholeheartedly believe that the foundations of this church are really, really strong. Um, and, and kind of reflecting on that, some of you might know that shared across all of the vineyard churches, there's this picture of each church being a person. And the person is standing firmly on the word of God. We, we get our understanding of how we interpret scripture through the lens of the kingdom, through what Jesus said about the kingdom is coming, the kingdom is now and they're not yet. All of the different things that Jesus says about the kingdom. But there are two legs for that person. And one leg is the leg of worship. And one leg is the, wor- is the leg of compassion. And everything that I see here in this church is that it is founded on Scripture. And it is most definitely placed on top of those two legs of worship and compassion. Whether that is literally sung worship on a Sunday or just the way that in everything the church seeks to do, it is worshipping God. But then alongside that, everything that is happening in compassion through Morsham Street and through all of the different things that you guys do, is absolutely fantastic. And, and it's on those two legs that the body of the church sits. And it is as we reach out, as we serve others, and as we seek God, that the body itself gets its stability. And I just, I, I, I think this, this is a fantastic church because it is so rooted and so stable in that foundation. Um, and I just want to encourage you, just keep going. It, it's, it's brilliant. Keep doing that. Keep worshiping God. Keep being compassionate towards one another and those in the city, because that is how the body finds its stability. So keep on going. It is brilliant. Um, but that's not what I wanted to say this morning. Um, what, what I actually wanted to um, talk about this morning and, and what I feel like God has kind of put on my heart um, is an area that affects every single one of us. And it's probably something we don't really talk about enough. Um, and, it's, and it's one the reason we don't talk about it enough is because it's, it's a bit of a do we really want to go there topic? And it's money. And the reality is that every single one of us is impacted by money, by, by what that is for our lives. And Jesus had so, so much to say about the area of money. He was absolutely not silent in it. And in all things, you know, we want to become people who see things as our Heavenly Father sees them. 
Because when we see things the way that he sees them, we end up doing the things that he would do. And so whilst the Bible has so much to say about money, I'm barely, barely going to scratch the surface this morning. And, and before I even kind of dig in, the reality is, and I, I just want to say, you know, my experience of money, how I've grown up, what my parents taught me, my working life, all those kind of things, they will be different to yours. So if at any moment in time it feels like I wouldn't say the things that I'm saying if I had lived your life or if I had understood things from your perspective, could you just throw me a bit of grace? Because I can only speak from my own experience, but this is, this is what I feel like God has put on my heart to share. And so where, where do we even start with this idea? And I think the best place to start is with the idea of comparison. And comparison is one of the things that robs us of joy. Comparison is something we must get under control if we're going to be able to look at our money and our resources through that kingdom lens. And comparison is absolutely everywhere. If you're anything like me, you'll find yourself throughout the day comparing what you do or don't have with other people. On any given day, I might compare the house that I live in, the car that I'm driving, the watch that's on my wrist, the shoes that's on my feet, all of the things that I have against something that I see someone else has. That's my point of comparison. And whilst comparison may not necessarily present itself externally, people may not necessarily know that I am doing that, it's always present internally. I remember uh, growing up as a child, one of the key points of comparison that we had whenever we went to visit someone else's house was, what drink am I going to be offered? And in particular, if I'm offered juice, does that mean that it's a liquid that has seen a fruit at some point in its life? Or is it a squash? That was always a question. And if it had seen a fruit at some point in its life, was it packaged, if, particularly if it was orange juice, was it packaged in our usual packaging of Sainsbury's Basics? Or was it the Holy Grail, <laughs> Tropicana, <laughs> with bits? With bits. There we go. I'm glad, I'm glad we got there. And so if ever we found ourselves, myself and my, my two older sisters, if ever we found ourselves in a home where there was juice on offer and it was Tropicana, a secret signal went amongst all of our siblings because we, we were telling each other telepathically, this is a Tropicana house. You need to ask for it. But it's not just the things that we have that we compare ourselves with. You know, we compare our financial situations as well. And sometimes we project an image of what we perceive someone else's financial situation to be. But we don't necessarily know the reality behind that. We can find ourselves feeling like, oh, they appear to have so much. What about me? Where's the fairness in that? Sometimes there is a, a direct comparison, though. You know, maybe you found yourself coming back from a holiday, you've been... Um, talking to one of your work colleagues, making a coffee or over lunch or something like that. And as you compare notes of what you both did on that holiday that you were on last week, as they describe all of the things that they did, where they went, what they ate, what they saw, you realize that, wow, what they've done is well out of reach for me. How on earth can they afford that? How is that fair that they should get that, but I can't do the same? Shortly after um, Ali and I got married, we found ourselves through, through a range of circumstances, really, in a place where we didn't have enough money to pay for our weekly shop. 
we um, went and we put everything in the trolley. We found ourselves in Asda, and as it all went through, um, the final item went through, we put our card in the machine, and the cashier turned to us with those dreaded words of, I'm sorry, your transaction has been declined. And we had no idea this was going to happen. We didn't know that we didn't have enough money to pay for that. And so as we stood there in that moment, that internal feeling of shame was going through my mind. Oh my goodness, how have we managed to get to this point where we don't have enough money? But as we, as we were kind of wrestling with that, we were also starting to say to the cashier, right, well, let's take off the joint of beef and see if we can get that. Can you try it again? Let's take off some wine. Let's try it again. Let's take off cereal. Any of the big ticket items that we possibly could, we took them off until eventually she turned to us and she said, okay, that's gone through now. But as that process happened, shame was there, but also comparison. As I looked around and I saw other people who were seemingly going through that checkout aisle with no problem whatsoever, and some of them even had Tropicana. But you know what? More often than not, we have no idea what is backing up our perception of what someone else has. They might seemingly have, but backing that all up is crippling debt. Or they might have something that we really want, but actually they have chosen to sacrifice to have that when they could have had something much more. For each of us, comparison draws us to look at what we don't have rather than appreciating everything we have already received. Jesus taught his disciples to pray, give us this day our daily bread. But might it be the case that sometimes we find ourselves saying, give me today the same bread as you've given to someone else. There's a, there's a verse from uh, Proverbs chapter 30, which has a similar kind of tone to what Jesus um, taught in, in the Lord's Prayer. And in this verse in Proverbs um, 30, it says this, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me just enough to satisfy my needs. For if I grow rich, I may deny you and say, who is the Lord? And if I'm too poor, I may steal and thus insult God's holy name. This is a verse that I've, I've gone back to year after year, trying to meditate on and like really let that settle and rest on me. And I firmly believe that for us, the only counter for comparison is the choice of contentment. We must learn the discipline of being content with what we already have, in particular when comparison rears its ugly head. And it's a discipline to do this because it's flipping hard to do. For me and in our family, and there's a number of different things that we have almost pre-made the decision of how we're going to be content. So my, my mobile phone company might tell me that every two years I'm entitled to upgrade my mobile phone. Um, I've decided the minimum I'm, I'm going to keep my phone for is three years before I consider having an upgrade. That's a, a predetermined decision to be content. We bought our car um, when it had 35,000 miles on it, and our intention is to keep on driving that until it starts falling apart. Like there is, there's no intention to upgrade that. We're just going to keep going for it. There are newer models. There's better technology. There's all sorts of great things out there. But we've pre-decided we're going to be content. We're going to keep going. We try and limit the number of pairs of shoes that we have in the house because it's so easy to just keep on accumulating. So I might have shoes for running and shoes for playing football and my kind of regular casual shoes. 
But outside of that, we try and make sure that in any of those different categories, we just have a single pair, because do we need them? On various occasions, um, Ali and I have looked at our, our home, and we love houses, we love property, and we've asked that question of, would we move? Would we go somewhere that is bigger and better and fancier? But we have specifically felt like God has asked us that rather than increasing you know, our own mortgage or uh, in going to somewhere bigger, that actually with the margin that God has given us, that we look to use that for the sake of helping others. And we've been able to um, very fortunately help other family members and some, uh, some friends and some church planters in their own homes rather than seeking to increase the size of ours. And with each of these decisions, you know, and there are, there are plenty others as well, all of this is the idea that we are, we are seeking to actively develop that muscle of contentment. It's something that we need to grow and we need to develop. It's an active process that we choose to engage in. It doesn't just happen by default. So let me just flip it on you. Like, is there something that God might be challenging you with? Is there something that you know that you've been allowing comparison to draw into your mind that actually perhaps it's time to make sure that you've brought that before God and said, God, where are you in this? Are you saying yes? Or might you actually be saying, choose contentment? I've heard it said that Jesus doesn't want to get hold of our stuff. He just wants to make sure that our stuff doesn't get hold of us. And comparison is one of the ways that our stuff can get hold of us. But contentment helps us to reset that balance and make sure that Jesus is at the center of all of those things. There's a parable that Jesus taught, um, which is in Luke chapter 12, um, which we'll, we'll read. And, um, and, and this parable speaks all about money. And it has been a consistent challenge to me over the years. Uh, and it's called the parable of the rich fool. So reading from uh, Luke chapter 12, verse 13 onwards. Uh, and the conversation here is that um, Jesus is teaching, and then there's someone um, within the crowd who, who asks him a question. So Luke 12, verse 13 onwards. Then someone called from the crowd, Teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. Jesus replied, Friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? Then he said, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Then he told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what shall I do? I don't have any room for all my crops. Then he said, I know, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friends, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship with God. So Jesus says that this farmer finds himself in a place where basically through God's blessing, through a fertile field, through the rains coming when they needed to, through things aligning that were outside of the farmer's control, he now has a bumper crop. He has more than he knows what to do with. 
And in that moment, he compares his capacity to store what he has been able to previously with the amount of blessing that he's received. And he makes that decision that in order to keep all of this blessing, in order to keep all of this crop for myself, I need to reconfigure my whole life so that I can enjoy it all. And Jesus is rebuking him. Jesus says that, you know, you're going to die with these oversized barns and any good that could have come from this bumper crop. Like, where's that going to go? And this guy dies leaving behind his, his possessions, but also, crucially, without that rich relationship with God that Jesus highlights. And one of the challenges for me from this parable is, as I try and pursue a rich relationship with God, that idea of what will I do if I find myself in a situation where I have extra? If I find myself like that farmer where my current capacity to store the blessing is smaller than the blessing that comes along, what do I do with that excess? In that moment, I need to decide, is that blessing for me? Or actually, is that blessing for others? Is God inviting me, and sometimes he definitely does, is God inviting me to increase my standard of living? Or actually, does he want me to increase my giving? And I fully recognize that right now is an awful time to talk about this. You know, with interest rates, with food and inflation, all those kind of things, it's a bad time to try and talk about this. Many people are just trying to break even, let alone considering having extra in their lives. So maybe it isn't something that present you needs to think about, but there's every chance that future you will need to consider this. Whether it's finding five pounds in that pair of jeans that you're about to give to the charity shop and you didn't know that five was in existence. Whether it's that you receive 500 pounds as a, as a pay rise linked with a, a promotion or something like that. Whether it's 5,000 pounds that you receive through an inheritance that you may or may not have been expecting. At some point in our lives, we're likely to find ourselves with extra. And that may be just for a moment, or it may be that you find yourself with extra for a sustained period. And I think that God would, would ask us to ask ourselves, you know, what is the most joy that we could give to someone else by being a blessing to them? And we can be a blessing with five pounds, 500 pounds, 5,000 pounds. The amount doesn't really matter. We can give joy and be a blessing to others with any amount. And our relationship with God grows as we bring all of these things before him, as we put them on the table and say, God, what would you have me do with this? I have extra. Who is it for? And this idea that we are blessed to be a blessing is not a new one. This idea that we're blessed to be a blessing is one of the foundational ideas on which God's people started. All the way back in Genesis chapter 12, God calls Abraham to leave his home, to leave all of the family that he had been living with, and go to a new place. And God is going to, through Abraham, establish the nation of the Israelites. And so in Genesis chapter 12, when God calls him, he, he says this to him, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All of the families on earth will be blessed through you. In that parable, if the rich fool had realized that he was blessed to be a blessing, how differently 
might that story have ended? The reality is that as God's people, we are blessed to bless others. Blessing has always been designed to flow from us out to others. That's why we do acts of compassion. That's why we have things like Grow Baby, because we are blessed and we want to bless others. This was always part of God's design right from the very, very start. But the reality is we cannot escape the, the harsh fact that there is an imbalance of blessing amongst us. Some people have extra and other people don't. Other people seemingly have a lack. And that is just the reality of the situation we find ourselves in. But speaking about this, there's an author called Randy Alcorn. Terrible name. Um, but um, in his book, The Treasure Principle, he says this. Why does God give some of his children more than they need and others less than they need? So that he may use his children to help one another. When those with too much give to those with too little, two problems are solved. When they don't, two problems are perpetuated. So as we kind of move towards a close here, let me, let me just ask the question of, is there something in you that God is putting his finger on this morning? Is there a little challenge that you've heard? Maybe you have found yourself recently deep within that comparison trap. And actually God is saying, you need to choose to bring contentment to the table. Whether you've been comparing your summer wardrobe against that of your colleagues, whether you've been comparing your shattered and dented mobile phone against that of someone else's, whether it's that you want to upgrade your coffee machine for no particularly good reason. I could talk about that for hours. I've been there. Or maybe you've sat in someone else's car. It was plush and leather. It smelt good, unlike yours. You know, we, we often find ourselves in that comparison place. Might it be that God is actually asking you to bring contentment rather than pursuing comparison? Perhaps it was those verses um, from Proverbs. You know, something stirred in you. you know, give me neither rich, poverty nor riches. And maybe actually like the reality is you feel like you are closer to the poverty side rather than the riches, and that's a really hard place to be. And whilst I can't offer material change for that this morning, I know that this is a loving church in which people want to support one another. And actually, sometimes it's simply as we face up to a situation, we share it with someone else. We invite God in by being prayed for, that he blesses us in ways we weren't expecting. He brings his peace. He brings his provision. He does what only he can do. Or maybe it is that actually you find yourself in a position where you have more than you need. You are blessed. You know that. And God wants to release something in you this morning so that you would be even greater of a blessing towards others. Blessing already flows from you, but it's almost like God wants to turn that tap and just let blessing flow at a greater rate than it has done previously. And sometimes it is just that as we pray with one another that God highlights a person or a cause that he wants to place on your heart and ask you to choose to actively be a blessing to. But you know, it's not just those who have extra who are blessed to be a blessing. We are all there. We are all, in all of our circumstances, children of God who he wants to bless others through. And God 
honors and blesses us as we choose to sacrifice what we already have, whether it is a small amount, whether it is a large amount, in order to be a blessing to one another. So we're going to, why don't we, why don't we stand? Um, Libs is going to come up as well. And we're just going to wait and just kind of see what God might want to do.